before all of us. He, uh, he was early today. Usually it uh, tortures me throughout the whole day of a lecture. But today he pulled on a new one. He pulled on a new move. Oh Hashem. So this is a good sign that the shiur is actually going to be a good one. Because Yetzirah usually if the shiur is not a big deal, he leaves me alone. He gives me a day off. But uh, it's not often. It's not often. It actually depresses me. I tell him, wow, what's the whole shiur? I work the whole time. And she was not a big deal. No one's going to do tshuva. Yitzhak didn't even show up. Not that you want him to come. But, uh, you know, if he came, and if he tried hard, then that means there's something. There's definitely something. Baruch Hashem. So, uh, today's shiur will be also for Refua uh, Shlema, for Adas Batsara. Little girl, little baby, um, Having uh, some blood clotting issues, Bezal Hashem. She's in the hospital, Bezal Hashem. She has a refuash the mouth. The tests come back uh, okay with uh, full health. And this will just be a, a short term kaparat avonot uh, for our extraordinary parents. So Bezal Hashem, Adas Batsara will have refuash the Also, Levana Batsara, Sarah Bat Levana, David Ben Esria, um, Doris Bat Jora, uh, Elisheva. Chaya Batsara, and all of Am Yisrael Bezat Hashem will have Refua Shlema, Refuat Anefesh, Refuat Aguf. The Gemara says that the Yetzirah, Gemara in Masechet Brachot, Gemara in Masechet Brachot, says Yetzirah is like a fly on your heart. It's like a fly in your heart. What does it mean, the fly in your heart? means that fly, no matter how many times you shoo it away from the steak or the pasta or the apple or whatever you have as food, delicious food you want to eat, he's still going to come back. You threaten to kill him, comes back anyway. He runs away. You're about to take a bite. Shoot, he's back right there where you want to bite. That's Yetzirah. Yetzirah comes back. doesn't make any difference. How many times you shoo him away, how many times you beat him before, how many times you said, no, no, I'm never going to do this again. How many times you promised yourself. How many times you prayed about it. That's his job. His job is to be Yetzirah. Moshe Rabbeinu called the Yetzirah Ra, evil. When the Yetzirah came to Moshe Rabbeinu, after 120 years of being on this planet, Yetzirah has another job also. He's not just there to make you sin. He's not just there to go tell on you to Hashem that you just sinned. His last job is what? Malachamavit. Take the neshama, take it up to Shamaim, bring it to the Bedin. And also be the punisher if necessary. Excuse me. He came to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu got to such a level of Kedusha. Torah says he got to such a high level of Kedusha that the Yetzirah had no power to take his Neshama out. He wasn't able to take Moshe Rabbeinu's Neshama out. Moshe Rabbeinu beat him up. He ran away. 
You ran away from Moshe Rabbeinu. Bebet. And then Hashem said, Moshe, you got to come. That's it. Finish. 120. I told you, you're not going to Eretz Yisrael. I told you, we already had this discussion on Parashat Vayit Hanan. You're not going to Eretz Yisrael. So, but then the Neshama, the Neshama tells Hashem, Neshama of Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem, I want to do what you want, but I can do it better here in this body. Look at this body. Look, what, where can I get a better body than this that became so holy, so Kodesh, that I can serve you better? Because no, Moshe, you finished serving me. You finished. Come to Gan Eden, Olam Abba, everything is good. You hang out. Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Aaron's here already. Your brother is here already. Miriam's already here already. Come, we're going to have to get barbecue, no? David, Shlomo, everybody have nice, nice. She's out. The cooking, everything is good. No, 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 Hashem, I want to work. I want to work. Hashem, I came here to work. But you finished working. No, no, I didn't finish working, Hashem. I want more. That's Moshe Rabbeinu. And you know, this sounds crazy to you guys. It sounds crazy to me too. But do you know that you are obligated as a Jew? You're obligated as a Jew to say, when are my deeds going to be like Avotenu Akdoshim? When am I going to be like them? Meaning, it's not just a fairy tale story. Oh, it's so nice. Wow, we're related to Moshe Rabbeinu. He's such... No! Wait, did Hashem tell you stories? Wait, it's a bookstore? No. The whole point is for you to say, when am I going to be like him? When am I going to be like Moshe Rabbeinu, who made my body so holy that even the Yitzhara doesn't says, do not enter. It's finished. This guy's a waste of time. This woman's a waste of time. She's covering everything. Two seconds later, if I tell her not to cover, she'll cover her face too, like an Arab. So I'm not going to say anything. She's covering her head, she's covering this, she's Kodesh. She reads Tehilim every day. Every little thing happens, she starts praying to Hashem. No, I'm not going to mess with her. Why? This woman is like a walking Sefer Torah. What am I, mess with somebody like this? I go deal with my other employees, the ones that uh, don't pray, don't care, don't learn, don't do anything. It's easier, easier customer. You're obligated as a Jew to ask yourself, when are you going to be like this? It's not the fairy tale. Now, we started yesterday a very important short series about this Mishnah in Avot regarding anger. The cost of anger, not just being angry, but what's the price of being angry? How much does it really cost you to be angry in your life? Is it a big deal? Is it something that you should consider working on? And as I was saying before, personally I've been struggling with anger my whole life, but that's not 100% true. And the reason why is because I didn't really think anger was such a bad thing to say that I was struggling with it. I didn't actually care. I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay. People get angry. People get stomach aches. People uh, get headaches. People get hungry. I thought it's just one of those things you do. And you get angry. It's like, yeah, hey, you know me. I get angry. Like it's an okay thing. You know me. It's a total, you know me. I get angry. What do you mean you know me? I get angry. I have to suffer because you get angry, you little gremlin. It's not my fault that you get angry. Fix yourself. Why should I fix myself, I ask myself. Why should I fix myself? What's wrong with me? Okay, I get angry, okay, but I do a lot of other things better. Okay, I'm an angry, but a lot of other things I'm not, I'm really good at. 
So it makes up, no? Makes up for it. That is the argument of the Satan, the Malach HaMavit, and the Yitzhah altogether. Why? Because it's such wisdom. It cannot come from a human being. Because what happens to a person that has a bad midah, especially such a horrible one like anger, is that you have to find a way to get out of it. But not get out of the midah. Get out of the hole that the Yetzirah has built for you with excuses. Where he's justifying you being in there. It's like, okay, listen, you're an angry person. Okay, listen, you're a stingy person. Okay, listen, you're an arrogant person. But you do a lot of other things good. So he gives you like, ah, you know how, you know what? I'm a good guy. What good guy? You just murdered six people on the way to, to work. What'd you wait, good guy? Yeah, but I donated money last week. You justify your evil behavior, and the Yetzirah, he's got an unending book of excuses to give you. So Rabotai Karim, really the only way to work on any midah, anything in life, is to understand the cost. Understand what is the real price of this. You know, Hashem runs the world, Rabbi Akiva says, Hashem runs the world like a business. The store is open, you can buy whatever you want, you can borrow some money. We learned that in Mishnah in Perkei Avot a few months ago. He runs the world like a business. So we compare a lot of things to business. The cost, the price. Use these different words, adjectives, to describe. But it's really the same thing. I spoke to my Rav, or Ephraim, and I said to him, you know, in the previous generation, we're not even talking about that many years ago. We're not talking about the days of the Ramchal 300 years ago, or, uh, or the Or Israel, Rabbi Israel Misalant, 150, 170 years ago, or students of Blazer, you know, uh, 150 years ago. We're not talking about that. Chafetz Chaim, 70, 80 years ago. We're not talking about that. We're talking about 20 years ago. Meaning, all of us were alive pretty much. 15 years ago. 25 years ago. That, in a lifetime, we're all either young or older, whatever, why this wall alive, we'll saw it. If you just look at the speakers that were available at that time, you look at the rabbis that were available at that time, and you look at what we have today, Hashem Yerachem, with all due respect to all the speakers and all the people that are trying to get Amisa to do tshuva for real, I'm probably only talking to a handful. Why? Most speakers are a waste of time. They're looking to become popular. They're looking to become uh, famous. And famous they are. They get a million hits on YouTube all the time. How many people do tshuva? Zero. They get a beknesset for $5 million like that, uh, that uh, uh, Christian helper, Goldberg. $5 million beknesset for absolutely no reason whatsoever with a budget of two, three million dollars a year, how many people do tshuva in his Beknesset? Zero. In fact, people do she'la, they get worse. Unfortunately, there are many like this today. Many like this today. So I asked my rabbi, I'm like, listen, you just look at 15 years ago. You had uh, 15, 20 years ago, you had uh, Avigdor Miller, Zatzal, Kodesh, 
the things that came out of his mouth always had a source, always were according to halacha, always were according to what Torah says, never steering right, never steering left, and never sugarcoating it. One time an immodest woman came into his yeshiva, and he noticed that it's bothering the men. Students there, there's, there's Tamidim, learning. Some immodest woman came to the yeshiva for whatever reason. He told one of the students, he goes, go tell that cow to hide the, uh, the, the, the parts that are giving the milk. Go tell the cow to put clothes on herself. This is yeshiva. He didn't care about offended, not offended. It's offensive that you came to a kola, to a place of Kodesh, without clothes on. That's offensive. It's offensive you forgot to put clothes on, and you went into the street and you call yourself a bad Israel. It's offensive that you walk around like this, and you are actually, according to, according to our Torah, you're my sister, you're my brother, you're, you're, you're acting like something like, uh, like you're everybody else. That's offensive. You read some of the things that he wrote, it's unbelievable. It's like, this is 15 years ago. Rav Nisim again? He tells people, listen, look at the Gemara, look at what the Gemara says, he tells the people. Because according to the Gemara, Masechet Brachot, a person that goes to a mixed beach, en lo chelek le'olam abba, has no share of the world to come. We're not talking about, oh, it's not good. Oh, you shouldn't do it. Oh, chaval, why are you wasting your time? No! He told you, you go to a mixed beach. Everyone's practically half naked, completely naked, whatever it is. Everybody's in underwear. And you think it's okay. Shalom Eli, you say. He says, everything's going to be fine with me. He says, according to the Torah, you have just lost your olam haba until you do tshuva. Your olam, it doesn't mean you keep Shabbat, kosher, tefillin three times a day if you want. Now, I, when I first, I heard this, it's like, ah, come on, it's magzim, extreme. You know how many Jews go to the beach? You know how many Jews go to the beach? I'm not talking about the non-religious Jews. To a frum, religious. Religious, you know how many Jews go to the beach? So you have to look this up. How about I? Page 61. Hey. It says exactly. He wasn't sugarcoating and he wasn't exaggerating and he wasn't adding anything. This is word for word. A person that passes behind a woman, meaning he's looking at a woman. As she's by the river, beach, river, same thing, has no share of the world to come. This is not an exaggeration. This is what it says in our Torah. And anyone who doesn't believe in a single verse, a single word, a single letter, in our written or oral Torah, has also no share of the world to come. So if you say, no, 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 I don't believe this. Okay, you don't have a share of the world to come anyway. Go to the beach, go, it doesn't make a difference. You already lost it. Meaning, this is 15 years ago, Rabotai. Show me, show me, show me more than a handful of people that teach this. Without the obvious ones, like Rav Mizrahi and so on. Show me a few, the, the real ones that actually say this to people. What say this? They go to the beach with them. No, yeah, we're going to have a, uh, 
a weekend away, we're going to have the pool in the hotel. What pool? What pool? It's Ami Yisrael. What pool? What are you doing with the pool? All of these events, these Shabbatons, they have these Shabbatons, and what do they highlight? We have a big pool, and it's next to the beach. What next to the beach? What is this, Christianity? What beach? What pool? Tell them to stay home. What are you doing? It says a person that goes and looks at women in the beach, in the ocean, not that he's going to the beach like today. That's not what the Gemara is talking about. He's looking at the beach today, laying out, getting some sun she wants to tan. You know what this woman was doing by the river? She was doing laundry. She was doing laundry by the river. So what happens is she doesn't want to get her legs or her dress wet. So she picks up a little bit. A little bit of the dress that reached the floor. She picks it up a little bit just above her calf. Still covers the knee. Doesn't all go over the knee. Like today, every dress often by default goes over the knee. No, just a little bit, it goes over the calf. So it doesn't get wet from the water, from the river. Because she's doing laundry. He says the person enjoyed looking at her calf by walking at the river. He just lost his olam haba. We're not talking about he went to the beach and he's sun tanning with some ice cream. Like he's three years old. This has no olam haba. This is Rav Nisim again, mentions the Gemara. It's not an exaggeration, Rabotai. It's word for word. And I had a chidush when I read this. It continues later on in the Gemara. Lower in the page 61a, same thing, same page, 61a. It says, Isha velo achore Amar Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan said, Achore Ari velo achore Isha. אחורי אישה ולא אחורי עבודת כוכבים. אחורי עבודת כוכבים ולא אחורי בית הכנסת בשעה שהציבור מתפללים. רבי יוחנן, קודש קודשים, תנא קדוש, able to revive the dead and did revive the dead in the same גמרא actually. בר כפרה. He says, when it comes to this, it's better for a person to understand what, is, what does it mean Modesty. What does it mean, modesty? There's a break that it says over here, the person, a man, that enjoys staring at another woman's hands while she's counting, he's giving her change, slowly. Let's say she came to a store, she's buying, I don't know, she's buying uh, uh, groceries or something. She's buying groceries. And he gives her the change slowly. One, two, three, four. Not because he's uh, mentally ill, No. If he's, that is patul for mitzvot. No, not because of that. Not because he doesn't know how to count. He knows how to count. It's because he likes to look at our hands. What does the Gemara says? Gemara says, one who counts out money for a woman from his hand into her hand in order to gaze at her, in order to look at her, even if he possesses Torah and mitzvot similar to Moshe Rabbeinu who received the Torah from Mount Sinai himself. He will not be spared the judgment of Gehenom. And on him it is written Yad leyad lo yinake. There's a verse in the Torah in Proverbs 11.21 
hand to hand, he will not be spared from evil. Meaning, he will not be spared from the judgment of Genom, the Gemara says. This is literal in the Gemara. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not adding any words. I'm literally writing it. I have highlighted that wants to see it. Gemara 61a, you see it's in the bottom of the page. So now, this is looking at our hand. This all started, how did this whole Gemara start? It says, what happens if a guy is walking and is, uh, he's with his wife? And it's a narrow road. It's a narrow road. What do you do? Don't walk behind your wife. Why don't walk? It's your wife. You're allowed to walk behind your wife. Don't walk behind your wife. You're going to have thoughts in an inappropriate place. Kalvachomer, meaning needless to say, if it's not your wife, if it's not your wife, you lose all of you do such a thing like this. Go walk behind a woman. No, either pass her or go a different direction. So then it continues and it says, if a person, what if a person actually intentionally goes to a place to look at women, like let's say the, the lake, the river, when a woman is doing laundry, it says such a person as loses Olam Abba. It says it's not, he doesn't even have to go to that extreme of going to the river and looking at women to lose Olam Abba. If he just simply looks at our hands, he's taking joy looking at our hands. Now, obviously you have to look at our hands to, to, give it, to make sure the, the money connects or whatever you're doing over there. But if he's doing it specifically because of immodest reasons, he likes to stare at her, even if he has mitzvot, Torah, like Moshe Rabbeinu it says. Meaning it's giving you the worst case scenario, the best case scenario. So then the chidush is, Rabbi Yochanan says, listen, it's better that a person walk behind a lion than walk behind a woman. It's better that, meaning it's better he puts in life on the line. Walk behind the line, lines and turn around and eat your head. He's not gonna wait for when's lunch. He sees you, oh nice, tasty. You look like you have a tan. You went to the beach? Come. You went to the beach? Oh, you went over there? Come, come. So, so Rabbi Yochanan says it's better that he walks behind a lion and not in not behind a woman. And it's better that he walk behind a woman and not behind an idol like a missionary or uh, something like that. And it's better that he walk behind an idol and not go to a synagogue where they're praying and not enter. What does it mean, the last one? Meaning, you see how this is gradually getting worse, but then the last one is hard to understand. So I'll explain to you the chidush here. Rabbi Yuchanan is saying, of course everyone knows that going and staring at women you could lose your olam about like this. Forget about the sins that it causes you later, the things that you think, which the Gemara Masechet Abu Dazarat says, don't do evil in the morning and it's going to lead you to evil at night. Meaning you look at women in the morning, it's going to lead you to wasting seed at night. We're not talking about the sins that follow. We're talking about Pashut. Bottom line, don't go look at women. Watch your eyes. He says, everyone knows you have to watch your eyes. How much you have to watch your eyes? It's better that you risk your life and not go look at women. But you know this is bad. But it's even worse it's telling you to go listen to some missionary giving a shiur at some biknisit. Walking behind an idol. Or buying one of their books just to see what they say. Or listening to one of their YouTube videos just to see what happens. It says it's better you walk behind a lion, not behind a woman. It's better you walk behind a woman. It's worse than the lion. 
and not go listen to one of these missionaries. But it's the worst, the worst thing in the world. It's better you even go to this idol than go to a Bikneset when they're praying and don't go in. What does it mean when they're praying don't go in? You go to Bikneset, hang out over there and start chit-chatting with everybody. Instead of going to Bikneset and praying to Hashem Barach, you went there to say hi to your friends. Instead of going to Bikneset and learning Torah, you went there and you went hung out. You go, yeah, yeah, what do you think? Let's read the paper. Why? Why is it so bad? I mean, you see what's happening here? It doesn't make any sense. Why is it so bad? The woman we understand. The lion we understand. The Avodah we understand. What's the Bet Knesset situation? The Bet Knesset situation, Rabotai, is what you have to understand. More than anything else. Because the other ones are easy to understand. Not looking at women is understandable. Whether it's for ethical reasons or for Torah reasons. It's understandable. Why well, you shouldn't look at other women that's not your wife. Walking behind a lion, if you need an explanation for that, we have to take you to a different shiur. Private one. For not walking behind an idol, you don't need a shiur for that. We already had one. Talked about it with uh, Goldberg and company over there in Boca Raton. I gave you guys between 50 to 100 sources of why you're not even allowed to stand six feet next to a missionary. Six feet, you're not allowed to stand next to them. Forget talk to them. Not just stand six feet next to them. That's how dangerous they are. So this we all know. What's the Beknesset situation? The Beknesset situation, Rabotai, is where the Satan wants to catch you. It's the easiest one to fail because you don't think there's anything wrong. Why? He says, if you go to a Beknesset, when everyone's praying and you don't enter, what are you really saying? You're saying you don't really believe in praying. You're saying we don't really believe and going to Beknesset and talking to Hashem. Nah, Hashem's not there. This is the foundation of Judaism. This is the foundation of the Torah, and you just took it, crumbled up in a piece of paper, and put it in the garbage. Why? You're saying, we don't need to pray, there's nothing. Don't pray to Hashem. Don't talk to Hashem. This is atheism. So, needless to say, if you go to Beknesset, not only you don't enter, you make it worse. You enter it, you enter it, but instead of praying to Hashem, you start talking to each other. You start talking to your friends. Oh, what do you think of the game? What do you think of this? What do you think of the stock market? What do you think of this car? What do you think of this house? What are you doing? Don't you know you can lose your olam about with this? This is why I'm now finally understanding. This is why the Shulchan Aruch, Allah Mefureshet says, this sin of talking to Beknesset, Unlike any other sin, it's too big of a sin. Shuchan Aruch says, talking in Beknesset, it's too big, it's too much. It's too much to describe. It's too much to describe how big the sin is. Talking in Beknesset. Why? Because as soon as you talk in Beknesset, Shechina leaves. That means that all the people that came to Beknesset to pray, who are they praying to? To you? Were you an idol? Who are they praying to? They're praying to Hashem. He left. Why? You chit-chat. You're chit-chatting in Beknesset. Meaning all of their prayers are now sitting on hold because of you. The Shulchan Aruch, the Ba'a Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Karo says, it's too much, too much to handle. It's too much to handle for you. It's too big of a sin. Now you just took on everybody else's problems. That's where the Yetzirah wants to catch you. Yetzirah wants to catch you on small things that you don't even think it's a sin. You don't even think there's something wrong with it to fix it. And I'm telling you, Rabotai Yekari, most of my life, 
I knew anger was not necessarily such a, a good thing to have. Don't get me wrong, I'm not retarded. But, to say that it's such a big problem, you must fix it? No, okay, you get angry. People get angry. But every time I would get angry, I would calm down eventually. However long it took. Five minutes, five hours, whatever it was. And some of them like, oh yeah, you remember that time you got angry? Okay, no, what's the big, I got angry. No, no, tell me what else. No, no, remember that time you got, yeah, I remember I got angry. No, no, I don't really remember I got angry, actually, I forgot. No, but go ahead, tell me. I got angry? Yeah, yeah, you got angry. Okay, no, so what happened then? No, when you get angry, no, people make their face. Okay, no, so what's the big deal? I got angry. I never understood what's the big deal, I got angry. What's the big deal? Do you still get the money that you wanted? Did you still get the help you wanted? Did you still get me to say what you want? Like, what's the problem? What's the big deal? I didn't see it as a big deal. And I'm realizing the more and more I learned Torah, the more and more I realize I was, I'm not the only victim. No one thinks it's a big deal to be angry. In fact, no one thinks it's a big deal to do anything against Hashem. Why? Because very few people, I don't mean no one literally, but very few people have really Yerachamayim. Very few people have taken the time to think about it and understand the cost of sinning against your Father in Heaven, against Hashem Barach. Most people haven't taken the time to start taking and calculating how much is this really costing me, this anger, this cheap stinginess midah, this arrogance, this uh, whatever negative character trait that a person has. Very few people actually took the time and evaluated, really, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to do this? And that's the only way, Rabotai, that we can actually even have a fighting chance against the Yetzirah, because the Yetzirah is going to keep coming back to you like a fly. The Gemara says he's going to come back to you like a fly in your heart. Why? It doesn't make a difference how many times you shoo him away. He's coming back. And even if you work really hard and you stop being angry, I'll come back to you with stinginess. I'll come back to you with arrogance. I'll come back to you with a million and a half other different things that you come back to you with. Which means that if you want to have a chance to beat him, your tshuva has to be something that you deal with every day. Not once a week, not once a month, not once a year, not doing slichot. You should be doing slichot all year round. And that's what I see that's a common denominator between all of the real chachamim. The ones that are living still or the ones that have passed and moved on to Olam Abba. You look at how they spoke Mamash, you would think that just like it's like, like you're talking, it's Moshe Rabbeinu himself, maybe. But I'm not talking about 150, 250, 500 years. I'm talking about just now. It's scary how much has changed in a in a such a short period of time in a bar mitzvah's life time. So much has changed from what we hear in the streets. Somebody asked a question yesterday. Really more like made a statement. That some rabbi told him that learning too much Musar may be bad for you. 
because it'll make you scared and depressed. I mean, this is a lot of, this is, I mean, a young kid, Abol Hashem, we answered him, we showed him, provided him sources and so on. But this is a legitimate question. He doesn't, like, he's not doing it to, he actually heard this from a so-called rabbi. And that's why I say, really, realistically, right now, we are seeing the Gemara Masechet um, Sota, page 49b, come true to life. It says, leadership will do things against its own people. What leadership? Many of these speakers, many of these rabbis, many of these people that are supposed to be teaching us, unfortunately, they're teaching us wrong. And you don't have to listen to me. Don't listen to me. Check yourself. Open any book. Open the books. See what they said. See what their rabbis actually said. They didn't say what they, but the students saying. So here, this Mishnah gives you no leeway. Like all of the other Mishnah before it, there's no room for error here. There's only one way to understand this Mishnah. Anger is expensive. How expensive? You can lose Olam Abafirat. That's how expensive. The Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says that a person that gets angry and acts on it, meaning not only gets angry, everybody gets angry, but acts on it, takes something, throws it, or breaks something, acts out on it, is no different than one of these Chinese people praying to Buddha. Amash, praying to the, to the Buddha like he's a something. Or these people in India praying to the cow when she crosses the street. Or one of the people that goes to the rat temple. There's a rat temple. There are 100,000 rats in India. They have a huge pool of milk that they feed the rats. And the, and the, and the temple is... You have somewhere in the neighborhood of 100, 150,000 rats. You see this, I'll show you pictures. 150,000 rats show up to this temple drinking and the people pray to them. They pray to the rats and tourists come. Oh, wow, it's so interesting. Why is it interesting? When it was a New York subway, you saw a rat. You say, ew, it's disgusting. But over there you have 150,000 rats. It's interesting. Postema, mamash, people are empty. People are just empty. Mamash, they have nothing to say in their life, so they say stupid things. So this Rabotai, a person that gets angry and takes something and throws it, he's no different than this moron that prayed to a, to a rat in a temple. He's no different than a Christian's praying to, to their uh, dead guy. They turn them into uh, something. Little do they know he's worse than them. So anger is expensive, Rabotai. It's very expensive. So the Mishnah says here, There are four types of temperament. Here it's telling you that there's four types of temperaments, four types of people, no more, no less. One person that gets angry easily, but is pacified easily. His gain is offset by his loss. Like we discussed yesterday, the fact that he gets pacified easily is a very good quality to have. But unfortunately, it's only a matter of moments that he's going to get angry again. So whatever benefit he gets out of the fact that he has a good character trait to recover from the anger, 
doesn't really pay off. Why? Because every little thing makes him angry. So whatever gain he has offset by his loss from his uh, short fuse. The next thing is one who is hard to anger and hard to pacify. So it's hard to get the guy angry, which is a good thing. But once he gets angry, it's like uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the two atomic bombs in World War II. His loss is offset by his gain. Same concept. Same concept. We'll go into details shortly. But in essence, the guy takes a while to get angry, which is great. But the problem is that once he gets angry, he loses his mind completely. And he doesn't want to recover from it. He likes staying angry. He's angry for 20 years. He's angry for uh, 20 months. He's angry for hours. He's not one of these people that gets angry drinks a cold glass of water or something, takes a cold shower, and then he's back to normal. No, no, no. For him, you got him angry, that's it, you're going to remember for the rest of your life. Dangerous person. These people are the types of people that could shoot up schools. This is all these people that shoot up schools, which according to recent statistics that I got yesterday, since the year 2009, since the year 2009, we are averaging... Once a week, a shooting in the United States. Since 2009, we're talking about almost 10 years. We're averaging almost once a week, a shooting. Do you understand how many, you're talking about hundreds of shootings here. Well, it's not a joke. Meaning, you send your kid to one of these public schools in America over here, 50-50 chance he may not come home. Do you understand what's happening here? It's a 50% chance he's not coming home. Forget about good grades. Forget about the good grades. Forget about him doing drugs. Forget about all that stuff. But that, that, that's all dangerous already. It's, a, it's aside from that. We're talking about bottom line. If he survives the day, you should only read Taylim. Should only read Taylim. Oh, well, Baruch Hashem, my kid came home. From where? Why? He was away for six months. He went to yeshiva. He went, No, no, he went to public school today. What do you mean he went to public school? What's the deal? We went to, well, look at the statistics. Look at the statistics. We're having a shooting this year. More than one a week. This year so far, 2018 for the Nutslim, for the Christians, according to the Christian calendar, 2018, according to Jews, 5778, we are averaging more than once a week a shooting. More than once a week. I said, no, but that's because of the gun laws. Because of the, all these lefty liberal losers want to blame the guns. Okay, go to Israel. Everyone has a gun. Everyone has a gun. Why? Everyone has a family member that was in the army. You have to go there. It's mandatory. They don't just have a gun. They have a tank in their house. Everyone has a tank in their house waiting for the Arab to come. Show me one shooting. Show me one shooting by a Jew. Arabs, that's every day. What can we do? Talk about a Jew. Show me one shooting in the school. Go to Russia. Russia. They have guns. Five-year-old babies have guns over there. They eat guns for breakfast over there. Show me a shooting. They had one shooting, I think, in the last maybe 30 years. France, nothing. Outside of the terrorist Arabs. Again, once you include the Arabs, terrorists, then all, all bets are off. All bets are off once, because that's a different, that's a, that's, a, that's a mission of its own. That's terrorism. No, we're talking about civilians becoming terrorists. You don't have that. 
You don't have that. It has nothing to do with the gun laws. Rabotai. It has nothing to do with the guns. Not that I'm pro-guns or against guns. I care less about it. I don't even know why anybody has it if they believe in God. If you believe in God, you don't need the gun. If you don't believe in God, you should shoot yourself. You're already considered dead anyway. What's the difference? Well, how do you live a life without believing in God? What, you're an ape? What's the point of your life if you don't believe in God? So now, what's the, why do these kids going, losing their mind, get so angry and worked up, they start shooting people? They go to the school, oh, you gave me a C. Bah! <laughs> Study better, you're not going to get a C. What's the problem? Oh, you beat me up in first grade. Bah! Okay, well, listen, buddy, you're in ninth grade now. It's eight years already. Leave me alone. Why do you have to kill my friends too? I beat you up. Why are you killing all my friends too? Meaning these people are hot, crazy. There's something wrong in the water. Why? What's all this shooting? What's all the shooting? You want to know the secret? What's all the shooting? Education. Education. I'm not. I don't mean when I say education. I don't mean math, science, history, gym, <laughs> physical ed, special ed. All the shtuyot they teach. No, I mean midot. If you don't teach your kids how to behave, all you're doing is raising mini Hitlers. And one day the little Hitler will become a big Hitler. You don't teach him how to behave and control himself. Be patient. Be kind. Be, be generous. Be humble. Teach him midot, martorah. All you're doing is bring another Hitler to the world. That's all you're doing. Torah is not just for you to be a ish kadosh in the eyes of Hashem. Torah is for you to survive this world. This horrible world that we live in, full of reshaim that shoot people for no reason whatsoever. Survive the world so you don't go to schools like this. But what do you have in this world? The, the teachers are dating the students. The students are dating the teachers. They teach them about uh, se- uh, sex when they're like, uh, before they have puberty. I mean, the demented teachings they have, I mean, that's the problem. It's not the... the the poor kids, a kid, anyone ever had a kid knows a kid is like it's like clay. You mold them into whatever you want. In the beginning, until they grow up, they have their own opinions, their own thing. In the beginning, it's clay. It's a copy machine. It's a copy machine. If Abba and Ima like sports, the kid likes sports. If Abba and Ima hate sports, the kid hates sports. Music, music, this, that. If he, so you see little kids, sometimes you see them talk, they talk like adults. They talk like adults. They, somebody sent me this video of this little kid. Honestly, I don't think she's more than four years old. She starts talking about, oh, people go to the gym. Yeah, you got to get buff. You got to work out. The kid's four years old. What gym? What are you talking about? What gym? What gym? Kids talk, yeah, you got to get buff. You got to lift. You got to do this. What's the matter with these parents? This is what you teach your kid to go to the gym and be buff at four years old? Teach Aleph Bet. Teach ABC. Teach her how to be kind. Teach her how to be generous. Teach her how to, I don't know, do something. This way, teach her. Be buff. What is she, an ox? Shouldn't she carry the, the cattle on her back? This is it's the, it's the teaching. It's the school. It's the disasters of school. And you can't say, no, no, no. It's only the public schools. It's not only the public schools. It's the private too. They're all infected with this. So 
So sending, if you're sending your kids still, anyone that's still sending their kids to public school or private school or anything outside of the yeshiva, just so you know, there's a 50% chance your kid's not going to make it. That's physically. As far as spiritually, it's a 100% chance he's not going to make it. And this is not a curse, chas v'shalom. It's not wishing anyone bad. It's just a reality. 50% chance, physically, we just know based on statistics, there is a shooting in, every, there's a shooting in America every week. You calculate the amount of schools you have in America, you know that it's only a matter of time that that school is, ta- is targeted. That's it. It's only a matter of time. It's going to reach that school. So that's physically. Spiritually, what are you, 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 you're sending them to a school where they're teaching them that it's, uh, you know, it's okay to think that you came from a monkey. It's okay to think that uh, we've evolved from amoebas. This is what I learned in school when I was a kid. The teacher told me I came from a monkey. I said, you came from a monkey. No, no, we came from a monkey. I said, okay, so how come you don't go visit your father in the zoo? Why don't you go visit, visit your father in the zoo? Say, I give him a banana. Eat, go inside with him, eat a banana with him. It's your grandfather. Go eat a banana with him in a zoo. Came from monkeys. What a stupidity to teach people. Oh, the dinosaurs were here 60 zillion years ago. What difference does it make? 60 zillion, 6,000, what difference? Oh, you know, it's a lot of time. Amash, people teach kfirah. Just dafka go against the Torah. Why? Because the Torah obligates you. It obligates you to be good. It obligates you to have manners. It obligates you to work on yourself. Why? Because it's very expensive not to. It's very expensive not to follow what Hashem says. So for all of those people that think that sending their kids to secular, non-Jewish schools, or even secular Jewish schools, meaning they they teach Hebrew, but they don't teach Torah, 50% chance is on you. And the 100% chance is also on you. Why? The kid's not going to survive spiritually. By the time he graduates school, he's 100% a non-Jew. He's 100% atheist. He's 100% kofel. 100%. You don't graduate those schools still a believer in Hashem and having even a, a remote chance of being a tzaddik. Why? If you go to a secular school, why would you want to be religious? All your friends, half of them are green. Half of them are Jews that don't keep anything. What's what, what religious? Very, very dangerous to such an extent that Arav Nisim Yagen, Allah Shalom, says it's better off. This is Mamash, less than 20 years ago. He says it's better off that your son or daughter dies and you sent them to a secular school. He wasn't talking about American public school. He was talking about in Israel. You would think public school in America, 90% of the school is non-Jews. Okay, for that, I understand. He's going to be lost spiritually. He's going to intermarry. I understand why that's so bad. You have a 90% intermarriage rate in America. I understand why it's so bad. No, he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about in Israel. You send him to a secular school in Israel. He's still going to continue speaking Hebrew. He still has a big Knesset in every corner. He still knows what Judaism is. You send him there, it's better off he dies and not go there. Why? He's 100% going to graduate a guy that speaks Hebrew. Why did you bring him to the world to be a guy? Hashem wanted him to be a Jew. If he wanted to be a guy, he'd make him an American. He'd make him into a European. He'd make him into a Chinese, an Arab. If he brought him into the world as a Jew, he wants him to be a Jew. 
Why'd you bring him to the world if you don't plan it? This is what we have to think about. This is what we have to think about. But the Yitzhara is not going to let you think about it. It's going to keep you busy. Busy chasing money. Busy chasing that dream. That dream that it's mamash, a kindness from Hashem. It's a chasde Hashem that Hashem hasn't fulfilled it. If everyone got what they wished, there would be no Judaism left. What does everybody wish for? A lot of money. What happens as soon as people have a lot of money? They forget God. The Sichot Aran, Rabbi Nachman Breslev, Allah Shalom, says something scary right in the beginning of Sichot Aran. He says, after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, the money was a power that was given to the Tum'ah, to the impurity, to the Sitra Achra, to the Satan, to Malach HaMavit. All the power of money was given to him. And he says, and this is why, even this day, 200 years ago, this is why you rarely ever see a tzaddik that has a lot of money anymore. He says, in the old days they existed. Rabbi, Rabbi Uda Nasi, Rabbi Akiva, Moshe Rabenu, some of these people, Rabbi, Azari ben Az- Rabbi Lazar ben Azaria, some of these people were zillionaires. He says, rarely do you see that anymore. Why? Because money has turned into a weapon from the Sitra Akhra. The evil, impure powers. And anytime you do see someone that's righteous and has money, just so you know, it's ruining them. It's ruining them. They could be much more righteous. So all of those people that are pretending to be breast livers and wishing for more money, or Chabadniks and wishing for more money, or regular Orthodox Jews and wishing for more money, they should realize that the Chachamim they talk about and read about, they said it's a poison. It's a poison. Stop praying for more money. Stop praying for more money. Pray to be happy with whatever you have. That's the best prayer. Be happy with what you have. So the Mishnah continues and says, a person that is hard to anger and pacified easily, this is a person a person that is hard to anger and pacified easily is considered a chassid, a real chassid. Why? He doesn't get angry often. And anytime he doesn't get angry, you tell him, listen, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, I'm fine. I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, I love you. Hug, kiss. Everything's good. Okay. Finished. Finished? Really? Finished. Finished. No problem. That's chassid. That's chassid. He barely gets angry. And even if he does get angry, he forgives right away. That's the ideal. The opposite is one who gets angry easily and on top of it, he's hard to pacify. Not only is he a walking time bomb, not only is he a short fuse, but after he finally, after he blew up, it's impossible to, to appease him. This is, Mishnah says, definition of a rasha. Why? It's just this person is a walking bomb. Not a time bomb, he's just a bomb, he's exploding constantly can't deal with such a person. Dangerous person to be around. And obviously a person that has no Yerat Shemaim. Why no Yerat Shemaim? Because if he understood the cost of anger, he would never get angry so often. Maybe he'd still get angry, but not so often. 
So last night we talked about the person that is angered easily and pacified easily. This is the a very common thing, and this is a very, very dangerous place to be because a person that thinks, listen, yeah, I get angry, but uh, I, I calm down pretty quickly. I get angry, yeah, I get angry, but I calm down. Everybody gets angry. That's what we telling you. Everybody gets angry. And even this Mishnah says, we're not talking about five different types of temperaments, we're talking about only four. And one of them is not a person that doesn't get angry. There's, not, there's such a thing that doesn't exist. Everyone gets angry. So he says, okay, since I get angry, okay, I get angry, but I get, I'm pacified easy. I calm down pretty quickly. It's okay then, right? No. Why? Because allowing yourself to think that it's okay to be angry means you do not understand the cost of being angry. And one of those costs is that you're going to destroy relationships. You're going to destroy lives. You're going to destroy neshamot. You're going to destroy a lot of things in those moments of anger, not only because you got angry, but even more so because you don't think there's anything wrong with it. So you're never going to fix it. You're thinking it's just like anything else. People get stomach aches, people get headaches. Okay, people get angry. No. Stomach aches is beyond your abilities, beyond your control. Headaches is beyond your control. Anger is within your control. So thinking that it's okay to be angry, that's already making you a very dangerous person. And the fact that you get uh, that you calm down quickly is working against you. It's the way that the Yetzirah allows you to pacify yourself. Makes you very dangerous. Now then the other uh, person is a person that's hard to anger, but also hard to pacify. Like we said, this is a very dangerous person. Because a person like this, even though he doesn't get angry for a while, because he's hard to pacify, that means that he keeps his anger to the extent where it can become malice, to the extent where it can become vengeful, and he wants to take revenge. And revenge is something people that think it's, uh, it's, it's good. They have even funny sayings about it. Revenge is sweet. There's nothing like revenge. People think it's a good thing to take revenge. They don't realize revenge belongs to Hashem, not to anyone else. Someone just asked me last night, listen, someone is disrespecting my family. He uh, divorced my uh, sister, and now he's saying bad things about the family. What should I do? It's a serious question. What should I do? What did he think I was going to answer him? Oh, you should murder him? Like, What, did you, what, what advice did you think I was going to give you? I said nothing. Do nothing. Let Hashem run the world. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need your help to run the world. He can, if the guy is wicked, Hashem will take care of him. We're not here to be judges or juries. We're not here to deliver the death penalty to anyone. We're not here to punch anyone. We're not here to punish anyone. We're here to inform people. That's all we're here to do. So a person that is hard to anger, but it's hard to pacify, his loss is offset by his gain. So even though this person is hard to appease, his flaw is not very damaging, according to one of the opinions, Tiferet Yisrael, because he's slow to anger in the first place. So this could be used for the good. How good is that if his outbursts are occasional, they're occasional, 
that means that there's enough power, he has enough willpower to pretty much not get angry at all. So on the good side, if he's hard to anger to begin with, this could be very good. The Sfatimit says that a person who's easily angered and easily appeased, which is the first first one, is worse off than this one. Is worse off than someone that's hard to anger and uh, hard to appease. Why? This is because it's easy to find ways to prevent such a person's anger from exploding in the first place. The first one is hard to appease him in the first place. He's always angry. This one takes him a while, so it's easy to control this guy. Because a person that falls into the pattern of getting angry easily and easy appeasement, the first condition, can lose perspective and begin to accept this anger as natural, exactly like we said. Saying exactly, it doesn't matter if I'm angry, it'll soon pass, he says to himself, Shalom Yeli, it's everything going to be fine. Like it says in the book of Deuteronomy, everything is fine, peace is going to be upon me. What does Hashem say about people that say peace is going to be upon me, and they don't do tshuva? He says, I'll never forgive those people. The very following verse says, those people that say, peace be upon me, everything's going to be fine, there's no need for me to do tshuva, I'm okay. Hashem says, those people, I'll never forgive them. I'm a scary, scary statement. Hashem says, people that even, you look at the Torah, even people that murdered, murdered, there's ten commandments, the sixth commandment is don't murder. There's tshuva for those people. There's tshuva for those people and Hashem says their penalty is death penalty. But He doesn't say I'll never forgive them. He doesn't say that. They have, a, they, have a pro, they have a punishment. They have to pay the punishment. They have to pay the bill. But at some point it ends. At some point it ends. But the person that says Rabotai, a person that says in chapter 29 verse 18 in the book of Deuteronomy Peace will be upon me, though as I walk, as my heart my heart sees fit, meaning he does whatever whatever is good in his heart. The very next verse says, Hashem will not be willing to forgive him, for then Hashem's anger and jealousy will smoke against that man, and the entire imprecation written in this book will come down upon him, and Hashem will erase his name from under the heavens, meaning. A person that says, no, no, I'm, I'm good. You got to do tshuva, you got to come to shiur. No, 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 I'm good, I'm good. I'm good where I'm at. I'm good where I'm at. I don't, I don't need to do tshuva, I don't need to shiur. I'm good, I'm a good person. Hashem says he loses olam haba. This is much definition of a person who loses olam haba. For what? I'm good. Just saying simple, something simple like that. I'm good. I don't need to come to shiur. I'm okay. Musar is too much stuff for me. So, it's very, very dangerous to think that we're okay. Very dangerous. Tshuva is something that's one of the 613 mitzvot in the Torah. It's not just an opinion. It's not just a movement. It's one of the 613 mitzvot in the Torah. And even a murderer, according to the Torah, the sixth commandment is murder. Do not murder. Someone that murders loses his right to live. They kill him. Death penalty. Sanhedrin kills him. But even that person, Hashem says, 
He has tshuva. He's going to get punished, but he eventually gets to Olam Abba. He eventually gets to Olam Abba, depending who, what, when, and how, but if it's, let's say, for example, someone that, uh, aside from murdering, was keeping Shabbat, mitzvot, and so on and so forth, and that was his, his one sin, he still has a share of the world to come. On the other hand, a person says, no, no, I'm good, I'm good, I don't, I don't need to do anything. This is a person that loses the olama. Do you understand the, 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 the risk here of not understanding the cost of our sins? So, this abutai, this abutai, just gives us a little bit of an understanding that if we don't understand, it's risky. Not understanding is risky, it's expensive. So, the Sfat Emet continues and says, this is not... This person says to himself that the bitterness and pain that he caused everybody else, ah, they'll forget about it, they'll forget about it. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal, forget about it. This is what makes it worse. On the other hand, this specific midah, where a person gets, it's hard to anger, but hard to pacify too. He says, this is not so with such a person. These type of things. Not as dangerous. Why? Because when he does become angry, he suffers the consequences of his temper for so long and with such intensity that he might as well attempt to cure himself of his fault. In the long run, therefore, he's better off. So there's one opinion here that a person that is hard to anger but hard to pacify is better off than the first case. The Meiri, however, the Meiri inverts it. It's the opposite. It says, actually, he's worse. For the same reason that we told you before. So yes, he's hard to anger. He's hard. But when he does lose his temper, the effect is lasting. When he finally loses his temper, he shoots up a school. Finally, he loses his temper, he breaks half the house. Okay, he hasn't lost his temper in two years. Yeah, but that two years was already Shem uh, We're still paying the bill on that one. We still got half the houses broken. There's still holes in the walls from that one. So that person becomes more dangerous. Now, the next one is one who is hard to anger, but is pacified easily. Not only is he good in regards to anger, he doesn't get angry quickly, it takes a while to anger him, but on top of it, he gets pacified easily. This is what the Torah calls chassid. Last week, we talked about what is a chassid with money. Someone that says, mine is yours and yours is yours, meaning all he wants to do is give people. That's a chassid with money. But when it comes to midot, when it comes to character traits, you want to be a chassid? You want to be Kodesh Kodeshim? You want to be a little miniature Moshe Rabbeinu? Learn this. Don't get angry quickly. And anytime you do get angry, forgive right away. Right away. Even if it's not your fault. Even if they're 100% wrong. Somebody came to you, so your wife upset you. She did something terrible. Terrible. Horrible. Oh, she cursed you out or something. One time she lost her mind, she cursed you. 
I'm not talking about these women that talk like truck drivers and they think it's okay. That's not what I'm talking about. Person, by the way, you should know, if you want to marry a woman, you want to know what she's going to look like in, in the future, if she curses, just so you know, it's only a matter of time before she's going to curse your mother. In the beginning, she's cursing the people. Later on, she's cursing you. Later on, she's going to curse your mother. So, before you get married, think twice. It's not exactly a good midah to have, to have a, a truck driver mouth. Not a male, not a female. It's a horrible thing to do. To such an extent, the Gemara says a person that curses, even if they decided on Rosh Hashanah, that he's going to get 70 years of blessings, one curse, one curse, can overturn 70 years of blessings into the opposite, into curses. Shem Menachem, one curse. That's the price, Abutai. Before you say F you, and this you, and that you, and all the you, think about it. Think about it. It's expensive. It's expensive. So, a person needs to know that if his wife did something horrible, or the husband did something horrible, and he insulted you, he called you a name, he cursed at you, he yelled at you, whatever. Meaning still controlled and civilized. I'm not talking about somebody that beats up his wife. Somebody that beats up his wife should be going to jail. Talk about normal people. Things happen sometimes. The guy loses his temper. He pushes the wife. It's absolutely wrong, but it's not. we can't classify this as the same level as the guy that gave his wife six black eyes in the last two months. It's not the same level. Certain things happen. Certain things, people lose their mind. Shem Echem. Shem forgive such people. If a person like that doesn't do tshuva, you're not allowed to count them in minyan. A person that beats his wife up, you're not allowed to count them in minyan. You have to put him on cherem until he does tshuva. But normal situations, still things happen. In Shemaim, when they want to get your attention, how do they get it usually? They send your wife. That's your mirror. If you want to know how they feel about you in Shemaim, look at your Shlombait. Shlombait doesn't exist. In Shemaim, there's no Shlombait either for you. You should know this. No Parnassah, it's because there's no Shlombait. You're sick, that's because there's no Shlombait. Shlombait's a big deal in Shemaim. Hashem is willing... To erase his name for the sake of Shlombait, we learned from Maaseh Sota how they identify the wayward woman by Hashem allowing them to take his name, write it on a scroll, put it into the holy water, and the name gets erased through this action just for the sake of finding out if she cheated or she didn't cheat. Ordinarily, you're not allowed to erase Hashem's name. But Hashem says, for this, erase my name, it's a mitzvah. So Shlom Bayit is important to Hashem. But let's say, for example, something happened. The guy had a bad day. And he lost his mind on his wife. Or the opposite. The wife had a bad day. The kids are climbing up the walls. Driving her crazy. The husband uh, got upset, gave her a face because the food wasn't hot enough or something. And she lost her mind. And she cursed him and his mother. Things like this happen. This is real life. So what do you do? 
depends. You want to be rasha, you want to be tzaddik. If you want to be rasha, follow Yitzhara. You want to be rasha, do immediately what you're inclined to do. Yell back, yell even more, curse even more. You want Genom, a villa over there? Nice, go. Follow Yitzhara, do exactly as he tells you. Today he tells you curse, tomorrow he's going to tell you to hit, the next day he's going to tell you to murder, go. Be a animal. You want to be tzaddik? You want to be chassid? Forgive her immediately. Yeah, but she's wrong. Exactly. But she cursed me and my mom and my dad. Exactly. That's what makes you a chassid. That you forgave her, you forgive him immediately, with no conditions. Not one of these things. Listen, but don't do it again. But I'm going to remember this. I'm going to check again. No, no, no. Like it never happened. In fact, the opposite. He said, listen, I know you're stressed out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What do you mean sorry? He didn't do anything. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry we got to this point. Rabbi Tzadik, Rabbi Tzadika, that's what you do. Why? Because you're going to need this argument in Shemaim. Why? All the sins you make, what do you think? They forgot about the Shemaim? In Shemaim they say, look, look all the sins you made. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, but can you forgive me? Did you forgive your husband? Did you forgive your wife? When she was late one time by 37 seconds? When the food wasn't hot? When she forgot to cook? When the fo- You forgave her or you made her remember it for the rest of her life? So you want to be a chassid? A real chassid forgives immediately. No conditions. Immediately. Why? That's Ritzon Hashem. That is the will of Hashem. Has nothing to do with right or wrong. It has to do with do you want to do what Hashem wants you to do. Now, I'm not saying that you have to become some uh, uh, placemat for your spouse to walk on you all day. What I am saying is that you have to forgive. If your spouse is using that, you forgiving them, as an excuse to make you into a placemat, you have a bad choice in spouses. It's your fault to begin with. Why'd you pick them? Why'd you pick such a person that's so evil, that's going to take advantage of a good midah, a good character trait, and turn it into something terrible? There's something wrong in the marriage. It's not just the. Uh, it's not just this. There's something else. It's not a normal thing. It's not a normal thing for a normal human being even. Forget just a, a Jew or a religious Jew. A normal human being normally does not return bad for good to the person that's the most close to them, their spouse. If the wife makes the husband happy, he will in return make her happy. If the husband makes the woman happy, she'll make him happy. That's, that's, they'll try at least. may not necessarily always succeed, but they'll try but they're definitely not going to give them bad in return. Meaning that if it's happening, if you're always forgiving, but he's always giving you more reasons to to hate him, there's something else wrong. There's something else there. You may not really be forgiving. He may not really be taking it as you forgiving. There's something else in the water. It's not normal. It's not a normal thing for a person to return evil for good. So... A person that gets to such a level who's hard to anger and pacified easily is a chassid. So what does it mean? 
One who has great patience and is forbearing to such an extent that he almost never aroused to anger is truly a chassid. So how does he deal with this anger? Silently. He silently bears whatever divine providence allows allots him in life and does not allow himself to be provoked by insults. This up to now was according to the Rambam. There's this famous story that the Rambam says. He says, one time I was on a ship and I was on the bottom part of the ship where the people didn't have much money. And um, one of the wicked, disgusting human beings that was on that uh, ship, some Arab, decided to relieve himself on top of me when I was sleeping. Now I woke up while he was doing it. And he continued, like nothing was happening, nothing was wrong. And as soon as he finished his disgustingness, animal behavior... He thought it was funny. He was looking for me to react. Fight him, kill him, something. At that moment, I didn't react. I didn't even get upset. I realized he's an animal. And I moved on with my life. And I realized at that moment, maybe I actually achieved something in my life. Maybe I actually achieved something in my life. I mean, personally, I'm thinking about the story I want to murder the guy. But that's why I'm at the Rambam. Someone at the Hasid does not get angry. Why? Why doesn't he get angry? Why doesn't he get angry? Why doesn't he get angry? What is he? What was his superpower? Was he born this way? He wasn't born this way. The Rambam wasn't born this way. The Rambam, if you don't know, when he was a kid, they used to call him a fool. Who used to call him a fool? His own brothers. His own brothers. Tamidei Chachamim. They knew a lot of Torah. And the Rambam didn't get it. Didn't understand. They called him a ksil. Ksil is like a fool. Didn't get it. It wasn't Tamid Chacham. They made fun of him. One day the Rambam goes to the Beknesset, grabs the Sefer Torah, hugs the Sefer Torah, and starts crying to Hashem. He's 13 years old, he says. Starts crying to Hashem hysterically all night until he passed out. Now, do you ever cry a lot? Cry a lot to the point you passed out? Not passed out because you're tired. Passed out from crying. Passed out from crying. He says, that day, Hashem opened my mind. Because he saw I really want it. He saw I was willing to die for the Torah, just like Rish Lakish says in the Gemara Maseret Brachot, at the end of Maseret Brachot, he says, you want a lot of Torah? Mesirut Nefesh. You have to be willing to sacrifice your life for Torah. Hashem saw that moment, the 13-year-old cries himself to sleep pretty much, to pass out. Just because he wants Torah, not because he wants to be known as the Rambam. Just because he wants to understand, what does Moshe Rabbeinu say here? 
What is uh what is Aaron Cohen saying? What's this? What's that? Who who what does Hashem want? He cried himself to sleep. Hashem says, Ah, he's willing to sacrifice his life for it. I'll give him Torah. You opened up my mind. Now what about his brothers? Who knows the name of his brothers? Exactly. No one. No one. Why? Nothing became of arrogant people. Nothing becomes of arrogant people. Arrogant people don't make it. In the long term, no one remembers them and even the ones that do forget them on purpose. An arrogant person is considered toivat Hashem, disgusting to Hashem, despicable to Hashem. To such an extent that even his family eventually hates him if he's arrogant. It's a disgusting midah. But now, we see the Rambam didn't start this way. He started as a person that was considered nothing. Became the Rambam. So how did he get to such a high level of working on himself that he doesn't get upset when such a horrible thing happens? An animal uses him as a uh, toilet. How does he not get angry? The answer is inside the question. Remember, the same Rambam says that this person silently bears whatever divine providence allots him in life. That's the answer. The only way that a person can officially get to a level of chasidut is number one, achieving an understanding of what's the cost of being angry. And two, understanding why you should never be angry. Understanding why you shouldn't be angry, because there's a high cost, is easy. I'm going to read you a few more things today and understand why it's expensive to be angry. Understanding why you should never even get angry, because Hashem runs the world, that's harder to do. Because... When it really comes down to it, most people don't believe in Hashem as much as He believes in us. Most people don't believe in Hashem as much as they even think they believe in Him. They believe in Hashem up to a point. They believe in Hashem until somebody makes them mad. They believe in Hashem until somebody touches their pocket. A guy can pretend to be the biggest tzaddik in the world... But as soon as you touch his pocket, as soon as you don't give him the right change, as soon as you take money, as soon as something happens with his pocket, with his paycheck, becomes an animal. A guy comes in after, in the old days, they used to work for months at a time, years at a time, and only come home every few years. So after five years of working, he finished, took all the money, and started going back home. On the way home, he stopped at a community and he went to the uh, rabbi's house and asked, can I stay here? I'm on the way home. Can I stay here for Shabbat? The rabbi says, come, stay. And while he's setting himself up, he overhears somebody crying. He looks and he sees the rabbi crying. Hysterical crying. He says, the rabbi, what happened? Why is he crying? So, you know, he's crying, he's crying, he's crying about the bit of Midash. He's crying about the pain that the Shekhinah feels from Amisra not doing Tshuva. 
He's crying because people don't know Torah. He's crying. So the guy says, what? Ah, that already happened 2,000 years ago. Ah, a lot of people cried about it. I don't have to cry that much. Taking a little too far. Okay. Now, in those days, there's no uh, safes and so on. Usually you go to somebody's house, you give them your stuff, they keep it in safekeeping, and then when you leave, you take it. So he gave her his bag, that was full of five years worth of salary. Shabbat was there, ate food, food was delicious, learned, prayed, everything good. At the end of Shabbat, he says to the rabbi, okay, I gotta go home. Can I have uh, the, the my bag? She says, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. No, 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 can I have the bag? The bag, I gave you the bag. Remember I gave you the bag just 25 hours ago? Give me a bag, this is it. No bag, what bag? Every, nobody gives me bags. This is not a motel, it's a house. No, I had my money there. I've been working for five years for five years already for this money. So I was losing his temper. Uh, five years I'm working for this money. What do you mean you don't remember? I don't know, nobody pays me. It's not a hotel. You didn't give me any money. Ah, who? Ah, yeah, starts losing his mind. Oh, I can't believe it. They're stealing from me. Ah, eh. She goes, hey, hey. Why are you screaming so much? Why, why are you yelling so much? Goes, what do you mean? It's, it's, it's my life. You're taking my life away. He goes, oh, you mean that money? Oh, here it is. Here it is. That, that's what you're talking about? This? You want this? Here it is. Here's your bag. He says, you see, when someone understands the value of something, he cries over it. For you, your life is your money. My husband, his life is Beta Mikdash, Torah, Mitzvot, Hashem Barach, Am Yisrael. That's the difference. He cries about Am Yisrael and Hashem Barach. You're crying about your money. That's the difference. But both of you cry. Both of you cry. Only difference is you have a different perspective on things. Everybody cries over money. Everybody gets angry over money. Everybody worries about money. Why? They don't believe in Hashem. If you believe in Hashem, you never worry about money. In fact, you know it's not allowed to worry about money. The rabbi of Rabbi Akiva, one of them, Rabbi Elizabeth ben Holkinos, says in the Gemara, a person that ate today and asks, what will I eat tomorrow, is a person with a tiny little emunah. Tiny, nothing. No emunah. Why? Because if Hashem already worried enough about you to give you food today, why are you questioning Him about tomorrow? Why are you getting angry when the check didn't clear? Why are you getting angry when they didn't pay you on time? Why are you getting angry because you don't have any money in the bank? Why are you getting angry? What do you think? It's, it's, they're responsible for it? Hashem's running the world. Hashem's running the world. And that's what the person needs to understand. If you really believe in Hashem running the world, then you truly never have a reason to get angry. Now, of course, this is hard. And that's the reason why we need step number one first. Step number one is understanding the cost of being angry. The cost. In the Yawanavi, 
תעוד רב יהודה, גמרא מזרת ברכות, אליהו הנביא says, avoid anger under all costs. Why? You're guaranteed to sin. And it's also even further. A person that learns Torah and gets angry is even worse. Why? Because what are the people that see a person that learns Torah with a kippah, a woman with kisri rosh, Religious Jew, noticeably a religious Jew, losing his temper in traffic, losing his temper in the store. What do they think? Woe to so-and-so who studied Torah. Woe to his father who taught him Torah. Woe to his teacher who taught him Torah. See how ruinous his deeds are. See how ugly his ways are. This is the Gemara Maseret Yomai, page 86. And the Rambam also says the same thing. It says this person that learned Torah, that looks like a religious Jew, he has a kippah on, she has a kisui rosh on, but they got angry in public, it's the worst of all. Why? No one is actually evaluating what just happens here. No one is looking, oh, she got angry because she gave her an attitude, he got angry because he got cut off, he got angry because he just beat up his son. No! They're saying he got angry because of his Torah. Look at this Torah. They're blaming the Torah. They're blaming, they're blaming you. Oh, see, it's not, it's not worth it to be a religious Jew. See, you get worse. You, you get angry. So what's the difference? You get angry. So if, if you're not going to get angry, then I can say, okay, maybe your Torah has something. But if you get angry just like me, what's, what's the difference between me and you? I get angry. You get angry. You learn Torah. I don't. So I have fun then instead. So in essence, I'm a winner. You're a loser. That's the mentality of someone when he sees a religious Jew get angry. Sometimes I see this women, they go to the supermarket and they treat the clerks like they're slaves. Start yelling at them, start doing something. I'm like, what's the matter with these people? Now I'm not talking about the non-Jewish or uh, missionaries or, uh, or, uh, or, or uh, some people that came from uh, the jungle No, I'm talking about religious women, religious Jewish women, speaking to some of these cooks that they're slaves. What do you think all the, all the non-religious, all the secular people are looking at them? It's like, this is religious? Shem Yachem. Thank God I'm not religious, they're saying. So thank God I'm not religious. Why? It turns to Chilul Hashem. Resh Lakish says, a person that learns Torah has the most amount of risk when he gets mad. Why? His wisdom departs him. He can lose everything he learned. Where do we learn this from? We learn this from Moshe Rabbeinu. We learn this from Moshe Rabbeinu. There was a few times that Moshe Rabbeinu got angry. When he got angry with the officers in charge of the troops, 
the verse states, and Elazar the Kohen told the people of the army coming to war. This is the law of the Torah that Hashem commanded Moshe. Why did Elazar take the initiative and tell the people what the law is? You're not allowed to say Allah in front of your Rav. The Torah says if you say Allah in front of your Rabbi without asking for permission, it's death penalty. It's heavenly death penalty. So why would Elazar, the Kohen, Kodesh Kodeshim, say Allah next to his Rabbi, Moshe Rabbeinu? Why would he do such a thing? It says because we clearly see Moshe forgot the halacha. Moshe Rabbeinu forgot the halacha. Why? He got angry. So a person that learns and understands the value of learning, understands how difficult it is to remember everything, knows that in a second you get angry, you, you lose everything you learned. Five years, ten years, twenty years. Your whole life's learning in a second. If Hashem has mercy on you, maybe it's only a day's worth. Even more so. It's telling us things about Moshe Rabbeinu. Why is it telling us things about Moshe Rabbeinu? You think the Torah is here, the, the Chachamim are here to insult Moshe Rabbeinu, the giant of all giants? The one that the 13 principles of faith say that there's nobody ever going to be like him? Why is it saying about... Why? Because I'm telling you, if it applied to Moshe Rabbeinu, that was Kodesh Kodeshim, that sacrificed his life, that sacrificed his soul, that sacrificed anything just for the sake of Hashem, just for the sake of his nation, needless to say, it'll affect you and you don't have a 10% of his mitzvot. He had all the excuse in the world to make mistakes here and there. He had a big credit balance. Us that barely have a credit balance at all, we have no chance if we start adding more and more sins. So it says, Hashem says to Moshe, during the time of the man, Hashem gave man to Am Yisrael, gave him food from heaven. And Hashem says to Moshe, in Sefer Shmot, how long will you continue to refuse to keep my mitzvot in the Torah? Because Hashem told Moshe, tell Am Yisrael to eat whatever manna they take that day. Don't leave anything for the next day. Don't leave anything for the next day. Now the Tanda Aviram Reshaim, they didn't listen to Moshe. And they didn't believe that Hashem is going to give them enough manna the next day, or they wanted to make money out of it. Bottom line is, they didn't listen to Hashem's will, they didn't listen to Moshe, and they kept the manna. They only ate part of it, and they kept extra for the next day. And that extra manna turned into worms and maggots. And Moshe got angry at them. He said, didn't I tell you that Hashem said, don't, don't uh, keep anything for the next day, eat everything? Well, you have no emunah. You think that Hashem brought us to the desert to kill us? To starve us to death? Why would He even take us out of Egypt to just kill us? This is emunah. This is lacking emunah. What's the matter with you people? So Hashem says to Moshe, after this happened, after Moshe gets angry, He tells Moshe, how long will you continue to refuse to keep my mitzvot in the Torah? Meaning that the Shemot, Shemot Rabbi is saying, the Midrash is saying, that Hashem became angry with Moshe as well as the Tan and Aviram. Meaning, he included him 
in the sin. How long will you, all of you meaning, not just the Tan and Aviram, you too, Moshe, how long will you not listen to my Torah? Why? But, but Moshe Rabbeinu didn't leave anything for the next day. Because, yeah, they left, they made the sin of not having Emunah, and they left the, the mana for the next day. But you got angry. You're also not listening to the Torah. How long will you not listen to the Torah, Moshe? Do you understand what's going on here? Hashem held Moshe Rabbeinu accountable. He, even though Moshe technically, what did he get angry for? For himself? For his own reasoning? No. He got angry because the Tan and Aviram were violating Hashem's command. Meaning, if there was ever an excuse to get angry, this would be it. You got angry for the sake of Hashem. You got angry because somebody made a chilul Hashem. Somebody went against Hashem. said, you're still not allowed to get angry. Even though his anger was for the sake of heaven, still Hashem told Moshe, how long will you refuse? Meaning Moshe was included in the same category together as Datan Ve'aviram. This shows us how far a person needs to distance themselves from anger. Such is the risk of anger. Now, if this wasn't enough, Where's Mashiach come from? Where's Mashiach come from? No question. Gotta get. I'm trying to wake you guys up. Huh? King David. Sure. Okay, King David. Everybody knows, Jew or Gentile, Mashiach comes Ben David. Starts from the tribe of Yehuda, because Yehuda Odeh, Yehuda, admitted. And allowed himself to be publicly embarrassed for the sake of truth, for Emet. Hashem says, if you're Ish Emet, Mashiach will come from you. One of the twin babies that he had with Tamar, that is where the Mashiach is coming from. Fast forward all the way to Ruth. We learned about her during Shavuot. Mashiach comes from her. Fast forward to David Melech. Mashiach comes from him. Shlomo Melech. Fast forward to Bezat Hashem, Mashiach will come. Now, do you know that wasn't really the case all the time? Even though the soul of the Mashiach was already something that Hashem had since the beginning, really, it wasn't supposed to be David. Now, if this wasn't written in the Torah, I'm not allowed to say such a thing. It's Kfirah. First and foremost, Moshe Rabbeinu was supposed to be Mashiach. Moshe Rabbeinu was supposed to be Mashiach. Why wasn't Moshe Rabbeinu Mashiach? Because Am Yisrael, Chet Egel. Once Am Yisrael sacrificed the golden calf, worshipped the calf, the Erev Rav did, and Am Yisrael didn't say anything, Hashem says, no, Geulah, that's it. Once Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't allowed to go into Eretz Yisrael because he got angry, that's it. One thing after another. But this is all, not, not, none of this is really a chidush. We've talked about this part in the past. I'm talking about something else completely. I'm talking about even if you fast forward do, 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 a few hundred years, 500 years, from Moshe Rabbeinu to David Melech. When the prophet came, the prophet came, 
to the house of David Amelech. When Shmuel came to the house of David Amelech after Hashem told him, That's it. Shaul Amelech lost his position. He cannot be the king. He didn't fulfill my will as I commanded him. We have to make somebody else the king. The Gemara in Masechet Psachim notes something extraordinary. It says when Shmuel came, the prophet Shmuel came to the house of David Melech. He didn't know who's going to be the Mashiach. He didn't know. And neither did David. David wasn't even there. He was in the fields. But David ben Ishai, Ishai's father, showed the prophet, his sons, each one was better looking than the next, each one was handsome, each one was smart, each one was kadosh. And the way that Shmuel knew if someone's the prophet or not, he took the oil, special oil, and he tried to pour it on their head. And he would try to put it on the first one, and it didn't come out. It defied gravity. It wouldn't come out of the bottle. So he says, oh, Hashem didn't pick him. Go after the next one, didn't work. This one, didn't work. This one, didn't work. Eventually he says, okay, it's none of them. You have another son. He says, no, I don't have another. This is it. He goes, no, no, no. Wait, you think Hashem is wrong? Hashem doesn't know how many sons you have? He goes, oh, yeah, I have this other one. I'm not really sure if he's really my son, Bichlal. He's red hair, and he's smaller, and he's this, and he's that. Bring him. Brought David. As soon as David came into the room, according to the Midrash, he started levitating in the, in, the, in the air, and the oil came out of the bottle from across the room and connected him in midair. Everyone saw, ah, this is a miracle. This is something, this is only in the hands of Hashem. There was no doubt that David became king of Israel. No doubt. But it wasn't supposed to be him. Why? The Gemara says, when Shmuel went to anoint the king. He looked at Ishai's sons and on each son he tried pouring the oil on them. And every time the oil didn't come out it says, ah, Hashem didn't choose this one. And the next one, ah, Hashem didn't choose this one. Ah, Hashem didn't choose this one. But then when he got to the son named Eliav, it's written in the verses and Hashem said to Shmuel, Don't look at his appearance and height, for I have despised him. It doesn't say Hashem didn't pick him. It says Hashem despises him. Lama, what does Eliyav do? Ravmani Barpati says in the Gemara, a person who gets angry, even if it was decided in heaven that he should receive greatness, his anger will cause him to forfeit his greatness. Where do we learn as the prime example? Eliav. Eliav, David Melech's brother. Because the verse says, Eliav was angry with David. He was angry with David. What do you say to David? When they were going to war with Goliath and the Philistines, David brought them food. His father said, go, go bring food to your brothers. You're not fighting in the war. Go bring them food. Eliav thought that David is making fun of them. Eliav didn't, didn't like that he came. 
Why did you come down here? Who'd you leave the sheep with? I know that all you're doing is uh, you have a bad heart. You get angry at him. You came down to see us, you know, because of the uh, to see the excitement of war. Meaning you're completely inconsiderate. You're not worrying about the sheep. You're not worried about your job. You think this is a game, and you got angry at David. Brothers get angry at each other. Hashem says he got angry at David. That's it. You were supposed to be Mashiach. Eliab was supposed to be Mashiach. What did he lose it for? He got angry at David. He says, oh, get angry at David. David didn't respond. David's going to be Mashiach. Do you understand the value? Like, what the, this, do you understand how much this changes history? For the rest of eternity. This is not just like their life. For the rest of eternity. Even though Eliab is on Allah Abba and everything is good. And he's, for the rest of eternity, he has to deal with... People saying forever, Mashiach ben David. David Amelech. You want to you eat, eat your own heart out of this. In Olaba. Why? I got angry ones. Got angry ones. That's how much Hashem detests anger. Now we're almost finished. In the introduction. Now, on the other hand, what made David? What made David a Melech Kodesh Kodeshim? What made him so special? Why? He wrote Tehilim? Okay. He wrote Tehilim. Plenty of people wrote stuff. He didn't get to become the fourth pillar of the Merkava, of the Shekhi, carrying the Shekhinah, because he wrote Tehilim. King. Hashem chose him to be king. He didn't sleep much. Sacrificed his life for Torah. It's all good. These are all good things. These are all good things. But it's not the reason why Hashem picked him. If you look at the history of David Melech, you see that literally there's not a day he didn't go through pain. Not a day he didn't go through pain. I mean, this is... Honestly, you understand a little bit. I understand, I don't understand that much. I understand a little bit about David Melech's life. I feel bad. Even though I know he's David Melech. I feel bad. It's not a horrible life. I mean, Kodesh Kodeshim. But you see how much he suffered. His son tried to kill him. His, uh, he wanted to help Shaul Amela. Shaul tried to kill him. His father thought he wasn't really his son. His brothers didn't like him. I mean, what kind of life he had. His own people, his own people prayed for him to die. Because they knew that the Bet Mikdash is not going to be built by him. It's going to be built by his own son, Shlomo. He said, oh, so die already. So Shlomo can build the Bet Mikdash. Imagine people are praying for you to die. Shem people are praying for people to live all day. Isn't it ironic that people learn his Tehilim to get Refuash Lema when he's writing the Tehilim because people are praying for him to die? 
Can you imagine what how ironic things are, how Hashem runs the world? But now, what? so what made did he, did he become David HaMelech because of this? No. No. Even though all of these things are unbelievable and I wish I could achieve even 10% of 10% of 10% of even one of them in my life. The reality is that none of them were the reasons why David HaMelech became the Kodesh Kodeshim that he is. But rather because he defined what it means to be a Hasid. In the book of Samuel, it says about a Maaseh, it says about an event where it's a known thing that Shaul HaMelech chased David throughout his life until he died, until Shaul died. Now Shaul had many followers, loyal followers. He himself was a tzaddik, with the exception of the one sin that he made. He was Kodesh Kodeshim, Shaul HaMelech. The Gemara says that he was so humble that he had the merit to be king, but he was so modest that he got the merit to have Esther Malka become his granddaughter. Esther that saved the entire nation. But still his followers were also Tzadikim, Sanhedrin, Tamidei Chachamim, judges and so on, but he made a mistake. So his followers hated David. Even though they were Tzadikim themselves, even though they did good things, they learned a lot of Torah, they hated David, naturally. Why? Their king, who they considered their king Shaul, lost his position to, to, to David. They didn't like it. Now the head of the Sanhedrin, the head of the Sanhedrin, his name was Shimi ben Gera. Shimi ben Gera. Now, Shimi ben Gera wasn't just another person. Shimi ben Gera was a prophet, was a Navi. And not only a Navi, he was also the teacher of who? Of Shlomo Melech, his son, David Melech's son. He was the teacher of David Melech's son. But on top of it all, he was also a member of Shaul Melech's family. So after David Melech's son of Shalom rebelled against David and drove David out of Jerusalem, David ran away from Jerusalem. So now, right now, this is a time you should be angry. This is a time you should be like complaining to Hashem. This is a time you're supposed to be, you know, why is Hashem doing this to me? If he's going to make me a king, why is my son going to try to kill me? Why is this happening to me? Why are you doing this to me? You know, people always ask this, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? Like as if it's like the whole world revolves around them. So, David Melech really had a reason. Hashem, if you're going to make me king, and a bet Mikdash and all these things, why is my son trying to kill me? This is the time you're supposed to complain. Now, if that wasn't enough that his own son's trying to kill him, he runs into who? Shimi ben Gera. What does Shimi ben Gera do? He takes a bunch of rocks and starts throwing it at David Amelech. And if that wasn't enough, he curses him what's called a Klalanim Retzet. What's a Klalanim Retzet? Every single curse in the book. 
you're a bastard, you're wayward, you're a rasha, you're eshet ish, you steal women, you, every curse in the book, you're a goy, you're an animal, you're this, every curse, what a klala, Ooh, I mean 20 minutes he's cursing him. Now according to Allah, according to Allah, a king is not allowed to forgive, because it's not his kingdom to forgive. Hashem chose him. But David Melech, the Kodesh Kodeshim that he is, found a way. Why? After Shimi ben Gera curses him, a curse that the Torah says this is like once in a lifetime type of curse. Mamash, the only time in the Torah it's mentioned that I know of is right here. He called him every curse word in the book. Where? In front of all the soldiers. Not that he's alone walking around like he's uh, homeless. All of his soldiers, armies next to him. His head soldier, Avner, is next to him. Wants to... What does he say? Avishai, Avishai, not Avner. Avishai, Avishai bin Zeruya, says to David, Lama yikalela kelev ametaze et Adoni melech Ebra na ve'asira et rosho. Why should a dead dog curse my lord, the king? I will go ahead and take off his head. He tells David, he goes, why should this dead dog, this, this, this Shimi ben Gera, he's, a de- he's dead already, this guy. He just cursed the king. Why should we even let him continue living, this dog that's cursing you like this? Let me go and just chop off his head and that's it. Now, if I was the king, you know what I'm saying? What are you waiting for? You have to ask for permission? The guy just cursed me, my mother, my father, my sister. Why are you asking me? This you're asking for? You're getting demoted. I'm asking him to get a new commander. That's me. That's why I'm not King David. What does King David, Kodesh Kodeshim, do? What? What is it? What he says? Anichulo v'kalel ki amar lo Adonai ulai re Adonai beeni ve'eshiv Adonai li tova tachak kilalto ayom aze. Let him be. Let him curse. For Hashem told him to curse me. Perhaps Hashem will see the tears in my eyes. And Hashem will repay me with goodness instead of His curse this day. Meaning, He's not cursing me. Hashem is cursing me. If something is happening in your life, it's not their fault. It's your fault. If your wife is yelling at you, if your husband is yelling at you, if your kids are climbing up the wall, if you don't have any money, if you have all these problems, that's Hashem talking to you. It's no one's fault. It's you. It's the person you see in the mirror. That's what made King David King David. That's what made him Kodesh Kodeshim. When he realized... He's cursing? He's not cursing me. Hashem told him to curse me. Why? If I didn't deserve to get cursed, do you think that Hashem would allow him to curse me? What do you think? Hashem just runs the world that way? He just like once in a while he's there, once in a while he's not there. What kind of Hashem he is? Is he? Once in a while he does things, once in a while he doesn't do things. He watches some things, he doesn't watch other things. You think that we have the, a God that doesn't see every single little move, every little bug, every little ounce, every little curse, every little word that comes out of your mouth? 
Every hair on your head has a name. Hashem knows it. He tells, he tells Eov, Job. Job thought that Hashem made a mistake. He says, Job, you see the hair on your head? Every one of them has a name. I know the name. You think I know the name of the hair, but I made a mistake on your name? All the stars they created have names. I count them for fun. You think I'm going to let Shimi ben Gera curse David Melech that I chose him to be king without my permission? You think that the check is not going to clear your bank without my permission? You think you're not going to have money to pay the rent without my permission? You think you're not going to be able to have kids without my permission? You think you're not going to be cured until I said so? You think anything in the world is not getting Hashem's permission for everything? What is the matter with you? What kind of God do you believe in? Everything is in Hashem's hands. Nothing in the world happens without Hashem signing off. Thank you, dear Hashem. Thank you. Sincerely, Hashem. Love always, Hashem. May Hashem bless you, Hashem. Everything in the world, a leaf, does not fall off of a tree until Hashem says, fall. The grass doesn't grow up and become grass until Hashem says, grow. People get impressed by stupid things. But they realize they don't realize how, how great Hashem is. One time a person, a teacher, told his students, if I have an apple and I bite into the apple, and I see that inside the apple, inside the apple is a coin. It's a silver dollar bill. Is that impressive to you guys? And I like, wow, what an apple. You have a silver dollar inside the apple? What a miracle. Says, you know, maybe you call that a miracle, but you know there's a bigger miracle? Inside the apple? Even if it doesn't have the silver coin, the silver dollar? Says, what kind of miracle? Says, you know, the seed has enough information for you to not only grow another apple, but an entire forest full of apples. It has all of the mechanisms of the tree, of the roots, of the leaves, of the apples, of the shapes and the sizes, and the colors. All of that information, we're talking about enough information that if it was in paper, you could write it from here, it reached the sun and back a hundred times. It's all stored in a tiny little seed. When was the last time you looked at the seed and said, ah, what a miracle. But a silver dollar, oh wow, it's money. Must be a miracle. Do you understand how far we are from the truth? That's the difference. We see David Melech, and we see, wow, David Melech. He probably became David Melech because uh, he came from a good family. There's a good family. They wanted to kill him, <laughs> even though his father was Kodesh Kodeshim and his brothers good. Every, but they hated him. They didn't think he was good. Oh, he uh, probably uh, had uh, a lot of money, a lot of good money. He was a shepherd, homeless. Bear and a lion attacked him at the same time. Bemet. They would send them to be a shepherd, especially in dangerous places. Oh, he must have been really big and strong. What strong? What big? What strong? Was tiny little guy. Abutai, 
דוד המלך became דוד המלך because he overcame his horrible מידה called anger. He was a redhead that was on fire at all times. It wasn't that he was born this way. He was a warrior. David HaMelech was a warrior. When he heard Goliath curse Hashem, he didn't think twice. Oh, you know what? Yeah, maybe there's a whole army. They're going to take care of this guy. You know what? I'll just go ahead and watch. No! He went, somebody's cursing Hashem. He went to the army. He goes, okay, I want to fight him. What fight? You're not even a soldier. You're not even a soldier, little boy. You're not even a soldier. You don't even have any training. Where did you train? Did you take karate or something? What did you do? No, no training. You have a big sword? You have a magic sword? No sword. You, you have out of special powers? No special powers. What do you have, little boy, that you're going to go fight the biggest guy in the world? Physically, the biggest guy in the world that's full of a shield that's no different than the biggest tanks in the world today. You cannot penetrate. Forget about the fact that he's huge. He has a shield on him, an armor on him, that a tank... Could not go through. A tank cannot go through it. All you could see is eyes. So unless somehow you directly into his eye, okay, so he loses an eye, big deal. You can't even take the sword out of his hand because it's tied so much. The sword is bigger than David Melech. What are you going to do, little boy? What are you going to do? He goes, I'm going to fight in the name of Hashem. <laughs> it's cute, thank you. It's cute. Go, go play with the uh, Power Rangers. Go play with your toys, little kid. What are you doing? We have armies here. We have brothers uh, double your size. What are you doing? David Melech was power. He was angry. Why was angry? He said, he cursed Hashem. He cursed my father. No one cursed my father. No one cursed Hashem. So David Melech used anger at the right time, the right place. Didn't get out of control. Prayed to Hashem, got the angel that's in control of metal to change the chemical composition of the metal of the shield of Goliath. So when the stone, that's usually ineffective against steel, hit the steel, it allowed him, the angel allowed the stone to penetrate the steel and kill Goliath with one tiny little stone. No sword, no nothing. Later on, when Davina Melech has all the right in the world to get angry, all the right in the world to be able to do something about his anger. He has soldiers. He's a king. He's not allowed to just forgive these things. He says, the same God that ran the world when I fought a giant and somehow Hashem allowed it to run, that same Hashem is also allowing Shimi ben Girat to curse me. So what do you think? I'm going to get mad at Hashem now? It's not Shimi ben Gerah that's cursing me. Hashem's cursing me. So hopefully, Hashem sees my tshuva, Hashem sees my tears that I'm crying, that I know I deserve this. What would you do? I don't know what I did, but I know I deserve it. Why? It's happening. If something is, hap- is happening in your life, it's because you deserve it. The most ridiculous thing in the world is I hear people say, oh yeah, you know, I, uh, I deserve a lot worse. Wait, I deserve a lot worse. Okay, so if you deserve a lot worse, you're going to get worse. 
Why don't you do tshuva if you deserve a lot worse? The reality is that the Vida Mel says, whatever is happening is happening because I deserve it and I need to do tshuva. I need to cry about it. So he starts crying and he says, maybe Hashem will repay me with goodness instead of this curse today. Maybe I will actually do tshuva and Hashem is going to accept it. And this is in Samuel 2, chapter 16, this whole Maaseh, this whole thing, this whole event we just heard. And for this, Rabotai, Shimi ben Gira lived and had children and descendants that thanked David Melech's mercy. Why? Because one of those descendants entered the center stage for Jewish history many generations later. Who was it? Mordechai. If David Melech wasn't merciful, Mordechai wouldn't have been in the picture. Mordechai wouldn't have been in the picture. Shemechem would have happened to Am Yisrael at the time of Haman. So we see from here that David Melech became eternal because he helped Hashem, in essence, keep Am Yisrael eternal. Not that Hashem had no ability to do it otherwise, but the point is, David chose to become the vessel by controlling his anger. By realizing you never have a reason to be angry. Never. Never ever having a reason to be angry. And that's why the person that gets angry quickly and is pacified, you know, does not get pacified quickly, is called a rasha. Because this person, not only is he a hothead, a short-fused person that gets angry really quickly, but after he gets angry, he's, it's impossible for him to do tshuva. Why? Because he thinks he's doing the right thing. He thinks that by not do, by by getting angry, he's right. He's not thinking about oh, I deserve this. Oh, this the, you know the suffering that I'm getting. It's not I'm I'm suff- I'm the victim. People make themselves into victims. And it's the worst thing that a person can do. So Rabbi Karim, here we learn that it's not just the loss that a person can lose their ulamaba, money, marriage, relationships, chokhmah, Torah, hey, all the good fortune that Hashem gives you is a special place in Gainon for people that uh, go to, that get angry all the time. It's considered avodah zarah. There's a whole book I just gave you, a book, a book full of things of what happens to people that are angry, a book. A book is written about this. Not everything has a book about it. It's a whole book of punishments of what happens to people that get angry on a regular basis. But there's only one Mashiach ben David. Why? Because of somebody not getting angry. You understand? The amount of punishment is huge if you don't control your anger. But the reward, it doesn't get better than being Mashiach. It doesn't get better than being Mashiach. That's the reward. That's how great the reward is. You could literally become Mashiach. By what? Controlling your anger. If not Mashiach ben David, you can become the Mashiach in your house. A happy husband, a happy wife, happy children, happy rabbi, happy person. Because at the end of the day, the most important thing that a person needs to know is that Hashem runs the world. Hashem runs the world. If you really believe Hashem runs the world, you're never allowed to get angry. Why? Because that means you disagree with Hashem. 
Hashem allowed something to happen, and it's making you angry. That means you're disagreeing with Hashem. That's not a good place to be. You're not going to win the argument. You're not going to win the argument. Trust me, I tried it for years. You're not going to win. Why? Hashem knows. Hashem knows what's right for us. So, Bezat Hashem, this will help us understand the cost, the price of being angry, but also the reward of not. The reward of not being angry. Because everyone gets angry. Moshe Rabbeinu gets ang- got angry. We just have to control it. Bezat Hashem, Hashem will give us the koach, the Torah, the mitzvot, the schut, and all of the th- tools we need to overcome our anger. And Bezat Hashem, give us a refuah shlema, refuah nefesh, refuah aguf. Any questions? Bold? It is indeed bold. But is it at all, isn't it at all possible that he, he must have had a new word that David is not going to react to get so bold? Um, I don't know anything about that. As far as him getting a nevoah that David is not going to react, because that would have to do with David Melech's free choice. We usually don't get nevoah about other people's free choice. When nevoah, usually the prophecies would usually have to do with things, uh, general things. Uh, not, uh, listen, if I go there, he's definitely going to say yes. If I go there, he's definitely going to say no. That, I don't believe that they got that type of uh, free choice, uh, that type of prophecy. Uh, but uh, from what I learned, it seems like uh, Shimi was uh, clearly acting out of anger. Mm. Out of anger, and he wanted to rebel against uh, against the king. He wanted to rebel against David as a sign that he is loyal to Shaul. It wasn't a, he wasn't trying to fulfill a mitzvah. Because if he was trying to fulfill a mitzvah, this wouldn't be the way he would do it. He would try to, you know, you definitely wouldn't use curse words, which is against the Torah. So I'm, not, I'm not thinking he's trying to fulfill a mitzvah. I mean, purely he's coming out of anger, as, as Oav says. Um, but if he, I'm talking about in a sense that he's thinking, well, I already hate this guy. I want to do this to him, but, but he's a king. Right. Soldier, I'm, I'm afraid that he might do something, but if I know from prophecies, I'm going to do anything. Because after all, oh, there is a rule. Like the word of the king is the hand of Hashem. Okay. He's a that. Sure, sure. But uh, according, you know, by cursing the king, you are forcing the hand of Hashem against you. But you're forcing the king against because you know that the king is not allowed to forgive you unless there's a legitimate reason like this. Like he pretty much decided that uh, this is not even a human being cursing him. It's Hashem cursing him. Under normal circumstances, such a thing is not allowed. This is the reason why he sent Uriah to war. He didn't want to kill him, so he sent him to war, but he, because he knew he had to die for not following what, what he said to him, which is to be with his wife. So uh, the point is, is that it's, uh, the choice of leaving him alive wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't uh, something that would be a normal decision that anybody would make, let alone King David or anyone. Uh, and uh, I don't think, at least not to, not to my knowledge, that Shimon ben Gilad knew that he was definitely going to survive because... Or else it really wouldn't be such a big deal. Like, because Hashem wouldn't evaluate the same way if one of the parties knew. So, for example, there's uh, the Maaseh of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the three martyrs. 
the time of uh, the prophet Daniel. And when Nebuchadnezzar Rasha said that uh, he wants to celebrate his new statue, and all of the uh, representatives of the, of the uh, countries, of each country, have to come and pay respects and honor and bow to his statue. So, the three martyrs, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, could have easily run away. But they knew that if they run away, the next day, the newspaper is going to say, all of the nations bow to the statue. Why? Because no one went against it. No one's going to know they ran away. So if anyone that reads the paper says, oh, all of the nations bow to the statue, so people will assume, oh, the, the Jews also bow to the statue. So they said, we can't. This will be Chilul Hashem. Which means that we would have to fight it. So they went to the prophet and they said, listen, tell Hashem, we are willing to go jump into the fire and not bow to the statue. Is he going to save us? The prophet spoke to Hashem. Hashem told him, tell them. I said, no. I'm not going to save them. If they want to jump and die for me, good. I'm not going to save them. So the prophet told him this. He said, okay, you're on your own. After that, he says, he says, the prophet says to Hashem, Hashem, how come... Uh, how come you're not going to save them? He goes, no, I'll save them. Oh, why, why don't you tell them? Because then it's not a real mitzvah. Then it's not real mitzvah. Nefesh. If they already know the outcome, what's the point? What's the point? Let them really do it. Then they're going to get eternity. Then they're going to get eternity. So if Shimi ben Giran knew the outcome, or David knew the outcome, or somebody knows the outcome, then there's no point of the whole event. There's no point of the whole event. So... I think that the, uh, the uh, main thing that's highlighted here is the mercy of David Melech, which ended up paying off very big dividends, not only for him, but also for all of Am Yisrael. All of Am Yisrael that got a, uh, saved because of Mordechai, the descendant from, uh, from Shimi ben Gira. Next question. Rabbi, I probably have to repeat these two lectures of yesterday and today a times. A few times. <laughs> Um, I'm trying, you know, because sometimes there's a certain amount of aggression that you have to deal with, like, in terms of being frustrated with something or irritating. Kid. Now, you got it and you controlled it. Then addressing the problem is like, it becomes an, uh, it could be like an altercation, for example. Yeah. And you hold your cool. Yeah. But then you still got angry. You know what I mean? Inside. Anger is normal. Makes you human. Outbursts is the problem. Acting out on your anger. You know, cursing out loud, yelling and screaming, hating, you know, violence, uh, insulting. That's a different story. That's the problem. Anger, people get angry, it makes you a human being. Um, if you're not ang- if you're never ever angry, that just simply means you're probably not alive. You're an angel or something. You don't belong in this world. Everybody gets angry. Uh, even 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 according to the Torah, that uh, you see in the Gemara in a few places, or even the Rambam uh, talks about it, is that uh, you're allowed to get to show, not get. You're allowed to show anger to your students. If you see them messing around and not taking the Torah seriously. You're allowed to show them anger. But inside, you're not allowed to be angry. Why? 
Because if you don't show them anger, then they're going to think you don't care. And then they're going to walk all over you, and then you lost them. Each each guy is going to become a kofel, an atheist, a Christian, a, a modern Orthodox, a Boca Raton synagogue member. I don't know, he's going to become something. Uh, a fan of Dro Casuto. He's, that's what he's going to become. Why? Because he thinks you don't care. It's not a big deal. So if a per- if you see a person joking around, instead of learning Torah, you have to show him you care. And sometimes pretending like you are angry, making a face, or uh, even raising your voice, but not really being angry inside, is a necessary tool. That's not what we're talking about as far as... The, that's not a sin. That could actually even be a mitzvah. But that takes training to get to that point knowing how to do that the sin part the part that's horrible is people that lose themselves people that break stuff and you know yell and scream and say things that are insulting that's like permanent damage calling their wives or or kids names and so on doing things like this that's real anger and that we're not allowed to do so if there are let's say for example if a uh, person is running a company uh, it's not always a, uh, or he's a manager or something like that. It's not always uh, Smurfs out there. You know, it's not always fun. It's not you're not in the, not in the forest over there with the uh, playing with flowers. There's times that are stressful. There are times that are difficult. You have to know how to maintain your cool. At the same token, you can't let people walk over you. So you could, you know, raise your tone a little bit. Even say, listen, if you're not going to work, uh, you might as well just go home. You could say certain things without necessarily letting yourself lose yourself. Uh, same concept with raising you, with your kids. Listen, you know, telling them, telling them that if you don't do this, this, and this, then uh, you're going to have to uh, stay in your room for the next two or three days, or whatever it is. You could, you could, if you think it through, you could always find a better solution. The point is, is that if you got to a point where something happened. This is a good tool to use if you can use if you can think about this at the time of anger. It's a shrecha, but it's, it's easier said than done. If you get to a point where you got angry, something happened. Try your best not to talk at all and hold your breath. Hold your breath as long as you can—a minute, two minutes, three minutes, however long you hold your breath. Hold your breath already. By the time you stopped, you started breathing again after a minute or two. Already, you're less angry. Already there's less sewer that's going to come out of your mouth. Already there's less damage going to happen. Already you've contained it to some extent. Already you had enough time to think about it. So really the main thing that the Yetzirah doesn't want you to do is think. So at the moment of anger, a person's his entire brain just leaves, goes on vacation. So that's the main thing you got to do. you got to think. Is it really worth it to get into a fight with her? Is it really worth it to get into a fight with him? Is it really worth it to do this? Is it really worth it to do that? Force yourself to think. That's what makes you a human being. You think before you act. And of course, it's not easy, but and it takes a lot of training. But that's why the Chachamim put together all of these different Ma'amarim in the Gemara, in the Mishnah, in different places, and some of the other sages that followed them took all of it and put it into a comprehensive book where you have little paragraphs. If you take a book like this, a Musar book, and you study it every single day, at least 15, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour a day or more, over time, you're going to not only develop a, a reality that has no anger in it, but also a reality that has a lot of emunah. 
Why? Because you're going to realize that everything that happens in, the, in your world, Hashem is doing it. If Hashem is doing it, I have no right to be angry. So, anger really has a lot to do with lack of emunah. So that's really what it comes down to. And you know, people like to think that emunah only has to do with money. Have emunah that Hashem is going to give you money. <laughs> it's not only about money. It's a lot more than just money in the world. So, it's of course, there's a time and there's a place, there's difficulties, but that's the point. This is not something that takes a week. It's not something that if you hear this lecture once or twice, that's it, you're, you're going to fix your whole life. This is something you listen to a lot. This is something you read about. This is something you go over. Uh, like you said, you listen to it over and over. You read about it over and over. You work on it over and over. You catch yourself making mistakes. You fix yourself. Swallow your pride. Say I'm sorry a million times. You know, say I'm sorry to Hashem. Say I'm sorry to whoever got offended by you. Start getting yourself used to saying I'm sorry. Start getting yourself used to saying I'm sorry in life. You want to win in life? Start learning how to say I'm sorry. There's no wisdom in people that don't say I'm sorry. There's no uh, special merit for them. In fact, it's the opposite. Start learning how to say I'm sorry. Now, don't say I'm sorry too much. Where it's like, uh, you know, you say I'm sorry every two seconds, then the, the sorry loses its value. It's like uh, couples that just, you know, they're still like in their little... Uh, Honeymoon days, the uh, first six months they met, they say, I love you every 30 seconds. You know, even during their fight, I love you, I love you, while they're cursing each other out. I love you, but... Don't, 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 don't. No. Then I love you lost his meaning. You're supposed to say, I love you. You're supposed to say, I'm sorry. You're supposed to say all these things, but they have to have meaning. So, learn how to say, I'm sorry. Don't be a person that doesn't know how to say, I'm sorry, because, you know, she's right, and you're wrong, and you're wrong, and she's right. Forget about all that stuff. Forget about being right or wrong. Forget. Just throw all that stuff in the garbage. Throw all that stuff in the garbage. Start thinking, what does Hashem want me to do? Does He want me to have a miserable marriage or a happy one? Does He want me to have students that come back to the shiul or students that never come back again? Does He want me to have happy employees that tell me, oh, this guy's a good Jew. He's a good guy to work for. Or does He want my employees to go and tell my competition, all my trade secrets because they hate me secretly. A person has to ask themselves, what does Hashem want me to do? Once a person does that, again, each one of these things is another stone out of the wall. There's a big wall, one stone, another stone, another stone, another stone. Before you know it, you've broken down the wall and uh, you've worked on one midah. But it takes, it takes time. Next. Beseda Bezat Hashem, we have uh, our next year is going to be on uh, Sunday Bezat Hashem. We're going to continue our amazing questions about God series. And then next week, uh, same thing, we have the uh, Tuesday uh, Best of Center and uh, Aventura. And Wednesday is here, here again Bezat Hashem. Okay, it's here again Bezat Hashem. Uh, different Mishnah, we completed this Mishnah already. Uh, and Hashem, next week some other new things, if anybody has... Uh, any uh, questions, any things like that, save them for next week. Unless it's urgent, you can save them for next minute after I shut off the camera because you guys always like to ask questions after the camera. But, Baruch Hashem, another shiur, it was worth it to take the uh, Uber and uh, come to the shiur just for this. Now I understand. I see how much, how, you know, the shiur, I, I got a lot out of it, Baruch Hashem. So I understand why the, uh, the uh, Satan gave me a flat tire. And uh, plenty of reasons to get angry. And also, I didn't tell you. 
The uh, so first I go. I'm coming to this. You want to come to this year as soon as I start driving the car. Say, oh, the car is not. Uh, let me see. I look. Go outside. Oh, flat, flat tire. Okay, fine. So I go park the car. This usually is already enough of an excuse for me to cancel this year. Hey, Hashem, I tried. You gave me the flat tire. You gave me the flat tire. I tried. So then I called a uh, taxi and uh, the guy says he's come. He comes, gets to the gate or something and uh, he calls me. He's like, what's the code or something for the, the community has a code or something? I gave him the code. Because ah, it's not working. I said, okay. <laughs> Try again. I know it works. There's people coming in and out 24 hours a day. It works. He just lost a few screws. So he's like, it's not working. It's not working. You're wasting my time. I'm not going to stay here. I'm like, it's a $100 ride. You're going to wait with your whole salary for the day. What's, uh, what are you complaining about? Even if it takes 20 minutes, you're already getting paid anyway. What difference is it to you? No, no, no. You're wasting my time. He gets angry. Gets angry, he leaves. He gets angry and he leaves. Oh, well, she leaves. So now I'm late another 20 minutes because of this guy. I have to get another one. So then the second one comes. He say, Ospi asked me. He say, I guess the password. It works for him. It works for him. He comes in. Bo Hashem, we got here. But you see, there's a lot of reasons to get angry. The flat tire, the taxi driver, the time that you're late. I hate being late. Uh, all the different things. But reality is, if Hashem wanted me to be on time, I'd be on time. You understand? So, Bezal Hashem, we try. We try to do whatever we can. And the Yitzhara also tries to stop us from doing what we can. And if you let him stop you, you'll be a loser for your whole life. If you allow him in only once in a while, then you could already do in tshuva. If you don't let him in at all, then you become a tzaddik. And that's what we all have to strive to do. We have to try to be a tzaddik. We have to try to be Moshe Rabbeinu. You have to try to be Sarai Menu. Try. Bezot Hashem, we succeed even being something. And succeed in something in our life, Bezot Hashem. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve'amen.